Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Monday morning, the 12th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Talks between the beef plan movement, the factories, farmer representatives and government today will hope to solve the dispute over beef prices. This crisis comes at a time when people are being asked to eat less meat and adopt a vegetarian diet in order to reduce climate change. The report last week from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has led environmentalists here to call for a plan on how we use the land and how we could reduce emissions by changing the way we farm the land in future. The four challenges of this plan should tackle so as to be in line with the IPCC's recommendations, they say, are to diversify our agricultural system away from over-specialisation on beef and dairy, protecting, rewetting and restoring our bogs, restoring our native woodlands and developing continuous over uh, cover forestry and by importing environmentally friendly raw materials. We'll talk about this with Joe Healy, who's uh, the president of the Irish Farmers Association, the IFA, and Patricia McKenna, a political activist and former Green Party MEP. Good morning to both of you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. The IFA has uh, described this as an attack on farmers, Joe Healy. Why is it you feel under attack by people who are trying to save the planet? I suppose the important thing is to realise, and that's all, that's all we ask people to realise and appreciate, that climate change is a global issue. It's not just an Irish issue. If there's to be a land use policy, let it be a global land use policy. When, you, when we talk about, uh, or when we're told that we should reduce our cattle herd here in Ireland, for example, you're talking about a European Union then doing uh, a trade deal with countries Brazil, for example, has 230 million cattle. We have less than 7 million head of cattle. But now I want to be clear at the very start that IFA are the custodians of the environment, our Irish farmers are the custodians of the environment. We, we have increased our output from Irish agriculture by 40% since 1990. Mm. And we've done that without increasing our uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So that, that highlights, what I want to highlight there is that Irish farmers 
are interested in the climate uh, they want, and the environment. We want to do our bit for it. And I think it's about time that we're recognised for what we have done. And that's OK, but the, having said that, the IFA has suggested that farmers are under attack because people are asking are. you to save the planet by being less reliant on beef and dairy farming. Why is yeah. cattle so important? Why can uh, farmers not embrace change? But, but we are embracing change. And like we have supported Chagask um, to do when they were doing their climate uh, abatement plan. And that's a 10-year roadmap there for our sector. We're one of the very few sectors that has a 10-year roadmap. But why I think what we want to highlight here is that the European Com- uh, Commission joint, our Joint Research Centre has highlighted the fact that Irish dairy producers are the most carbon-efficient producers of dairy product in Europe. We're in the top five in beef. There's a growing population. By 2050, we expect there will be 10 billion people. There's a mention that uh, food will have to be increased by 70% to feed the growing population. And what we're saying is let's produce that food in the countries that are most carbon efficient at producing it. It's well known that Ireland is carbon efficient at producing particularly dairy and beef and other meat products. Patricia McKenna, do you believe that makes the argument to continue uh, in relying on uh, cattle? I I think we have to look. I mean, in my opinion, the way that this uh, UN Intergovernmental Panel's report has been uh, presented to the public, it's it's kind of put it in a very easily easily readable sort of version and say, look, eat less meat, you know. Mm. But there is a lot more in the report than just that. And I, I just want to say that from the outset, like mm-hmm. because we also have to look at how, you know, our economic system on this planet actually works, you know, in relation to capitalism and in relation to consumer choices. It's not just down to individual consumer choices such as eat less meat. Mm. There's a lot more to it than that, but this seems a simplistic way of, and then for politicians it's an easy way out to say, oh, well, like we bring in policies in relation to getting people to eat less meat, and we've kind of done it, but there's well, a heck of a lot mm, more to it than the, that. And the main was, focus of this uh, report was on the land and how we use the land. Yeah, uh, on uh, the and, land, yeah, uh, and how we use it, like uh, for example, smallholders uh, and soil protection, also in relation to, you know, uh, it, there are a lot of issues here in relation to how the land is actually used and like what Joe said there now in relation to there is uh, one of the problems that uh, in my opinion like uh, it, that the agricultural industry has in this country and indeed right across the European Union is that the farmers followed policies advocated by the European Union that changed the way they did farming over the last half century drastically in such a way as when any major change of policy might come in such as in relation to changing consumer habits it has a huge effect on farmers Mm. and as well as that there's quite a lot of hypocrisy and as Joe pointed out quite rightly there I mean on the one hand the European Union and our governments within that are all saying right let's tackle climate change and on the other hand we're doing deals with with South America in relation to importing beef Mm. which has a massive carbon uh, uh, footprint because first of all, we're importing something from halfway around the planet. Secondly, we have to look at how that beef is produced in those countries, the cutting down of the tropical rainforest. It just beggars belief that on the mm. one hand the EU is talking about tackling climate change and then on the other hand they're saying, let's bring in beef from far around the world instead of saying, let's okay, look but they're, at they're, consumer protection at a, a local politi- they're, level. They're saying there's a political agreement at the moment and if that is uh, to become a deal, it will be on the basis that the Brazilians meet their obligations under the Paris Accord 
and stop uh, uh, taking down the rainforest I- I- in the way that they have? Look, that's just a lot of hot air, in my opinion. Mm. I mean, the deal is there, and it, it just makes no sense. Why are we importing beef from halfway around the world when, in actual fact, we can produce the beef here ourselves? Now, there is, in my opinion as well, like a, a lot of truth in the whole issue of why we're eating so much meat and should we be eating so much meat and it has been long argued that you know in relation to human health and that mm. less meat other uh, types of agricultural agricultural produce should be consumed by the public and like that's coming back to the issue of how the EU has advocated agricultural pro- uh, policies down the years in getting farmers to you know this over specialization over specialization in specific uh, outputs and whereas going back I mean people saying oh you're going back to the dark ages but there was a, and traditionally in Irish farming going back half a century a mixed type of agriculture and yet we've moved away from that you know there are people arguing that we can't produce like yesterday I heard on, on national radio an argument that you know Irish farmers can't produce onions here because climate's not right and the, the carbon footprint of onions produced here because of the amount of heat that we've used to, to, to grow them uh, would be that carbon footprint would be greater than coming from a, a warmer climate when I was young we grew everything you know I mean so the, there's, I think we, we're also moving away from the issue in relation to the economic the kind of economic policies we have and we have to deal with that. We can't just deal with one issue at a time. Now, there, I know that uh, Joe said, and I disagree with him here in relation to this idea that, you know, uh, far, uh, farmers are custodians of the environment because over the years that I was in politics, everybody, and it's not just farmers, are guilty of this kind of thing where, you know, uh, they look don't look that far ahead because people are also looking at the, you know, their own profit and their own livelihood but we do have to look at the way we actually consume and it's not just in relation to agriculture and uh, farming it's in relation to all the things we do in relation to how we consume what our consuming choices are in relation to the the fashion Mm. industry for example I mean the production of cotton people think Mm -hmm. it's okay but in fact it has caused devastation right around the planet and there are a lot of things that we need to take in and also this idea again coming back to the whole idea of what kind of economic policies we have I think you know people should look at people like George Monbiot in relation to you know capitalism and, and the capitalism's approach to how we use global resources or how we exploit mm. them and while it may have got some people rich and okay. left an awful lot of other people poor. Let Joe Healy come back in there because uh, the farmers are suggesting that you're part of the global solution in that most of uh, the beef, pr- beef produced in this country is exported. Um, and it is 90% of the beef we produce here is exported but it's like 50% of that goes just across the, the water to the UK and 45% of the remainder goes into Europe. So, you know, we produce enough food here in Ireland to feed between 40 and 45 million people, and we've continued to grow our agricultural exports through the boom, through mm. the bust, and through the recovery in this country. We've been one of the, con- uh, the, the constants, I suppose. Okay. But, you know, through all that time, you know, and the various schemes under the Rural Development Scheme and the CAP, nine out of every ten measures that we have to do to qualify for those schemes contains climate mitigating actions and we welcome that because you know there is a little bit of an incentive there to do more for the environment whether that's fence off water courses whether it's you know enhance the permanent uh, grassland um, and you know I think that's what we need and to, to highlight the interest that IFA has in it the but second day of our of our AGM when we had our main officers from around the country 
The second day, we dedicated to climate change. And we had Minister Bruton at that meeting and a panel of leading speakers, you know, to get Mm. that message across. And I suppose the message we wanted to get across to the Minister was, in the whole area of renewables and alternatives, two or three things needed to be done. There needed to be a proper feed-in tariff. Mm. There needed to be access to the grid. There needed to be lower levels of bureaucracy because farmers will adapt. And farmers are always looking for ways of, of enhancing what is poor incomes on the land at the moment. Okay, but whilst you may be carbon efficient, uh, there's still emissions and methane continues to be a significant problem. Is there not a, an argument to reduce the national herd so that we export less to people who eat less meat uh, across the world uh, and, the, uh, and the health benefits that go with that? Mike, just kind of, you know, in, in, in the real world, for example, Gira, the world-renowned consultancy group, they've uh, shown that or estimated that the demand for beef will actually increase by uh, 17% or 55 million tonnes between now and 2027. So that demand will have to be met. What I'm saying... And well, what well, that could be the end of the planet. I mean, this is what the IPCC is saying. We well, have, to, we have no, to stop that demand and we have to change our diets. Yeah, but you see, it's, a diet is about choice and balance. Mm. And that is what it is. And if people want to eat less, so be it. If they want to eat more, so be it. They'll do what they, what where, they want where, to do. Where will they eat it? No, but you see... I but think, this is, know, the, this is the question. Mike, I mentioned the Chagas abatement plan there. Mm. We can continue to improve our efficiencies. And if the proper supports and infrastructure are put in place, we can continue to produce what we're producing, like we've learned from the increase in genetics, the improvement in genetics, the improvement in science, the improvement of land management, uh, like we've increased by 40% without increasing our greenhouse gas emissions. As we go forward, if the supports and infrastructure are put in place to support the Tagus Climate Abatement Plan, we we can continue to produce while also lowering our greenhouse gas emissions. And I think that's where we need to be going. But you mentioned methane there. Mm. And if we take methane on a global issue, there's 558 million tonnes of methane uh, produced or emitted annually. uh, Out of that 558, 188 million tonnes of it comes from agriculture and animals, uh, less than 40%. But our grassland, our hedgerows, our trees around the world, our soils, sequester or absorb 548 million tonnes out of the 558 million tonnes. So we sequester our lands, sequester over 98% Mm. of the total methane produced globally every year. And that's what farmers, we, we maintain the land and we enhance it do that sort of work quite often. Okay, let me go back to Patricia McKenna. I'm sure that everything that has been said there is correct, but this is a crisis on a scale where we are talking about uh, species uh, becoming extinct, the destruction of uh, the planet, according to the experts from around the world who've drawn up this report on foot of the other reports, which are all suggesting the same thing. And whilst we might be doing a lot, there is an argument, is there not, that we could be doing an awful lot more? Yeah, I mean, Joe says there about, you know, the demand, how much is going to increase over this, you know, in in the near future, and that that has to be met. That does not have to be met. 
The problem is we cannot meet demands that are going to jeopardise the future uh, for the, the planet for future generations. And we have to say, look, there's a problem here. If the demand is going to rise, we have to look at, well, why is that demand rising for meat? You know, because, as I said, there are all alternatives. Now, for the farmers, their problem, in my opinion, is that, you know, they have been more or less geared towards or moved into an area of specialisation in relation to production of beef. And they're going to say, well, how do we, you know, mm. in our interest that we want to see more demand because that's, in a, you know, uh, that's beneficial to us. But, and, and there I would say that the policy makers that push them in that direction are to blame there. But they also have to realise that, look, we cannot continue like this. We have to look at alternatives, way, alternatives for the farmers themselves. And we cannot meet a demand that's unsustainable, whether we like it or not. And if the demand for beef is rising, we have to address that. And that also includes... Cause Joe said there about choices, you know, it's consumer choice. But consumer choice is driven to a certain extent by advertising and by the media and by, you know, lifestyles. Therefore, we need to change that. And there are alternatives in relation to beef. And we also have to look as well at the amount of beef. If you just take the amount of beef consumed in this country, we we all know, we go to the supermarket, beef is substantially cheaper now than it used to be years ago. Mm. There's a huge amount of waste in in relation to... And that's one of uh, the uh, points that... uh, has made very strongly about uh, the amount of foods in general that is wasted. About 25% of uh, the food produced globally is wasted. Yeah, and, and the reason, that, uh, Michael, it's, uh, that it's wasted to a certain extent is that people, the food is, is cheap. You know, when mm. people, a lot of shoppers, there may be people listening, might say, well, it's not that cheap, you know. Mm. But, it, you know, so in relative to what it was in the past, and mm. well, relative to people's wages, and relative. Mm. So if we look at the cost of what, you know, to consumers, and we also look at the co- at, at how much it's, it costs. People dump more or the waste more if they if it's not okay. going to hurt their pocket, and we need to address that. Okay. And, well, you know, Mike, if I could just make one... Just very briefly, because I'm running over I, time here, Joe. I, yes, I, I agree with Patricia. Food is cheap, and I think mm. what backs that up is in the 1960s, um, the average household, there was 30% of their average household income being spent on food. Today in Ireland, it's less than 9.2. But Patricia mentioned the onions there. Uh, one of the big problems is the lack of vegetable growers in Ireland, and they've been mm. forced out of business by the power of the retailers, where it's a race yeah. to the bottom on price, and they're doing the same thing with many other sectors. Well, that's it. We all know we can go into supermarkets and get vegetables for next to nothing. We have to leave but it there for a the But month. that is an issue, a serious yeah, issue. Of course. Why are mm-hmm. we uh, yeah. importing stuff from you know other countries when we can produce it here ourselves? Mm. We're destroying any kind of local industry, and we have to go back and we have to address that ourselves. Okay. That is a part of it as well. I know that the beef issue is huge, yeah. but we also have to look at the other. Every little bit adds up. And we'll talk some more about uh, those talks on prices later in the programme, but we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us, both of you, today. Patricia McKenna, political activist and former Green Party MEP, as well as Joe Healy, who's uh, the president of uh, the Irish Farmers Association, the IFA. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Gardaí and Trim are appealing for witnesses after a woman was stopped in her car on Friday afternoon. This was at Tramon in Rathmaloyne. Uh, and it happened in the middle of the afternoon when this woman was stopped and a man got into her car and assaulted her by all accounts. We're joined by local Fianna Fáil TD, Shane Castles. Good morning to you, Deputy Castles, and thanks for joining us. Uh, what more do you know about this incident? Uh, good morning, Michael. Good morning to all your listeners. Yeah, it's a very, very scary incident, uh, as you rightly said. 
and the fact that it happened in the middle of the day as well. On, on what is a you know people would know that the, the Keegan Coy Road, a, a quite busy road as well. And um, the lady's partner has posted on social media, uh, making people aware of this uh, particular incident of how a silver van um, came out and uh, reversed towards her, uh, partially blocking the road, and how uh, then another man jumped out from a hedge and came in on the, on the passenger side and uh, struck the lady in her face, uh, trying to get the, the car keys. And luckily she was able to, to get away. But for it to happen uh, in the middle of the afternoon, uh, um, in, in that particular area is, is extremely frightening for her and of course extremely frightening for people in the general area because um, as has been stated this is not an isolated incident mm. we had an incident in Enfield uh, earlier in the year as well with a similar type of carjacking and that happened at half five in the morning uh, where a lady was parking to, to go to take the train to go to work in uh, my friend Rathbush uh, as I said in that particular area south me like this is not a, a, an isolated incident it's happened before and, and it is worrying uh, and disturbing for people in the area. Absolutely, uh, and quite uh, elaborate in how they went about this, uh, reversing this van, as you say, to block her from moving forward. Uh, and then when she was forced to stop, there was somebody in hiding, waiting for this to happen in a bush who jumped out. Exactly, and I mean, yeah. so this was this was a very much a premeditated uh, incident, uh, one that was calculated, mm. uh, and one for in a situation like that. Uh, where people are engaged in hostile behaviour, you know, you don't know exactly what what can happen in, in terms of someone trying to defend themselves. Luckily, this lady was able to escape. Uh, but the extent in which these uh, perpetrators, these scum, uh, would be prepared to actually try and, and uh, take the vehicle over. Right. Uh, it really is unbelievable. But if it has happened, it's possible, if not probable, that something like it will happen again. And I suppose we should all think about locking our doors when we get into the car and uh, take it to the road. But uh, well, this- well, as I said, the, the, the partner of the lady was very brave. He's gone on social media. He's made people aware of the particular details of this and asked people to be vigilant and aware uh, in the area because if it's happened once, these guys mm. you know, could strike again in the area. Okay. Uh, you're concerned about policing in the area in general? Yes, well, I mean, since I became a TD, policing has been always a hot topic in County Meath and one that I've been passionate about. And the uh, Chief Superintendent, Fergus Healy, for County Meath, who's a recently uh, new appointment in the last couple of years, uh, has been very proactive in working with public reps uh, to try and make sure that we get the adequate resources uh, for policing that we need, because he was quite open in saying that we had the lowest per capita numbers of Gardaí with a little just over 300 in County Mead. So you take a county such as Limerick, uh, who has, you know, which has this similar style population, uh, but has actually doubled the number of Gardaí, would have over 700 Gardaí. Uh, so we're not getting the fair shake and the fair share of Garda resources. And your listeners might have seen the, the, the Mead Chronicle last week where um, plans to merge Garda divisions now uh, with neighbouring counties are afoot from the Commissioner, Drew Harris. Mm. Uh, so Mead would be merged with uh, West Mead. Uh, Loud under these plans would be merged with Cavanmon, and that's quite a diverse and rural and sparse area to merge with, you know, a, a county uh, that has such a huge population in Loud. And I, I really believe that this is a dilution of uh, resources, uh, and it actually kind of undermines the force in, in, in these areas, and I, I find the decision baffling, quite frankly. Is it a, a dilution of resources or an attempt to use resources more efficiently? I mean, I, I think uh, I understand your arguments about loud, but you could also argue that there's a lot of logic to that merging of those three divisions at a, a time of Brexit when you would have one border division. 
Well, I think you know we can have we can have different uh, debates, and, and they are creating of the regional. Uh, divisions on top of this as well and that of course makes sense when you're talking about cooperation in areas that's perfectly fine but I mean just within the county areas we are constantly asking the Minister for Justice Charlie Flanagan mm. to address the deficiencies that exist uh, within the Gardaí in terms of numbers and boosting the numbers up to an adequate uh, state now by coming around and creating new divisions to try and massage the numbers so to make it look that the Mead, uh, West Mead division would suddenly have 600 Gardaí uh, does not take account of the diversities within that area where you'd have to travel 160 kilometres from the Laytown area of Mead over to Athlone. Uh, and there's a very much a case of uh, challenges within County Mead, whether it be in Navan and Ashburn, where you have huge urban areas and trim, as we've seen in terms of the challenges, and in the more rural areas that are under-resourced as well. And I think Fergus Healy has done a very good job in trying to put boots on the ground, especially in our large urban areas in Navan, to tackle the problems that we have. And I think a situation where you've merged divisions to try and actually boost uh, numbers artificially is not the way to go because we also have seen the advancement, and you've discussed it many times, of these joint policing committees where civilian members come and sit on policing committees with members of the force and Mm. with public representatives as well. And we're able to actually discuss the minutiae of what's happening on the ground uh, with the chief superintendent and superintendent. Mm. That's going to get diluted if we're suddenly in with areas from Athlone as well that have, you know, they won't know where Trimgate Street and Navin is or, no. or towns in Trim are either. And it just dilutes the impact of what we're trying to do on the ground at a very sensitive time. Yeah, and perhaps uh, they wouldn't know where Barrack Street is in Athlone in uh, parts of uh, the country either. But uh, yep. ha- having said that, you're saying that it's artificially... Uh, increasing the numbers because you'd be counting the number of Gardaí in one division in Meath with uh, the amount of Gardaí in another division in West Meath and combining them and that's a, an artificial uh, way of inflating those numbers uh, but is it not utilising the number of Gardaí that you have in both areas better? Is there not the possibility of doing that that you'd have smart policing and rather than having all of these layers of bureaucracies and higher grades and so on that you'd have more boots on the street and that they'd be deployed uh, Appropriately, Well, certainly the people in Westmead that I've been talking to don't want to see, uh, obviously, members of their force where they believe that they're not properly resourced to begin with in the first instance, being maybe moved over to uh, the county boundary in Mead as well to try and boost up numbers in that particular area. What we've been calling for is actually, you know, an increase mm. in the actual basic levels of policing so that we're able to do that efficiently in the first place. But this hasn't got anything to do with that, does it? I mean, there's not going to be any change to the number of Gardaí or or Garda stations or anything like that. This is a a division, how the force operates and that it would look on a bigger part of uh, the country uh, as one division with all of the resources that are are already in place uh, to deploy in more efficient ways. No, well, of course, though, Michael, we have to remember that there would be only one then chief superintendent for this area. So you wouldn't have a chief superintendent for me. So one guy is automatically going to be gone uh, under this redraw as well. And suddenly uh, they are looking at they have a total complement for that whole geographical area. And it would be up to them then to determine how they deploy that. And so we don't know how that pans out. Uh, in a new divisional uh, area. And, I mean, this comes at a time where I've been working very closely with the Chief Superintendent of Mead to mm-hmm. try and establish a divisional headquarters in Navan for the Mead area as well, because the um, the under-resourcing of the actual physical infrastructure for the county in Mead is atrocious as well. We have a, a building in, in, in Navan that's nearly 100 years old. It's not fit for purpose. Uh, and all that's been given in recent times is a, is a million euro for an upgrade 
of of the cells, mm. which are full by midnight on a Saturday night from 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 people who are engaged in in, in less salubrious activities on on a Saturday night. Okay, but there wouldn't be there wouldn't be less proper. there wouldn't be less resource available to the guards. Whether I mean, if you were to reduce uh, the number of chief superintendents by one, perhaps that would result in two superintendents or three uh, inspectors or, or four members of Angarda Shiakana uh, uh, boots on the ground as such. But again, we have to look at this in the context of then how things get deployed, because I know that in terms of, of the numbers in Meath not being what they should be, uh, decisions have had to be made in the past in terms of redeploying traffic core bases from the north of the county to uh, Ashbourne and Alchard and Shockland, and that has led to people in kind of North Mead being very aggrieved that uh, they've seen those resources deployed uh, from one side of the county to the other and, and we really don't know how that's going to pan out. My, my point being is that mm. I was looking for a boost in the numbers full stop within County Mead to make sure that we have our proper resourcing because the people in West Mead believe that they need further resourcing as well and you know you're not going to be able to satisfy everybody where you're spreading it out and over a larger geographical area. I accept the point that you're making mm. that they will come up with a model to try and make it look uh, good and efficient and as you call smart policing but what people and communities are looking for is actually people in these areas actually policing they don't want the blue box outside a garter station with the buzzer that you that you buzz to try and get a guard they want guards backing those garter stations that are shut up for most of the week now as it stands that's what we were fighting for not a model and in fairness the chief superintendent of Mead was fighting for that model as well very bravely so because oftentimes we don't see senior members of the guards come out uh, and and argue their case. This man is prepared to go and do that, and it helps the likes of me then when I'm in Dáil Éireann, and I'm able to make that point to Charlie Flanagan, who try and comes in and reads off the script that he's given by a civil servant on behalf of Drew Harris, and he likes to think that everything is cushy and no problem. We say, no, hang on a second. The guards and me are actually telling you a different story, Minister, and this is the reality on the ground. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this Thanks. morning. Shane Castles is uh, Fianna Fáil TD in Mead West. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, serious public disorder on Friday night in uh, Drogheda. Let's hear more about it. Uh, Jerry Hand, a freelance journalist, is on the line. Good morning, Jerry. Thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Five teenagers arrested. Indeed, Michael. Um, this was basically what you might call lancing the boil. This had been bubbling under for the last two to three years. Groups of teenagers, groups of youths from Balbriggan and Swords in the general North County Dublin area mm. who had been misbehaving in their own patch, so to speak, and were finding it difficult to get served in pubs locally because of their reputation, have been coming to Toronto over the last two to three years, really, and trying to antagonise people, trying to intimidate people. Uh, I'm aware that security staff in the three major shopping centres, the Lawrence's, the Town Centre and Scotch Hall, have all had dealings with them over the, the past number of years. Right. So Friday night was kind of the culmination of something. Uh, there's an old saying that a long threatening comes at last, and on Friday night it erupted into violence, unfortunately. And it began by them booking a, a function room at one of the pubs in the town, was it? That's correct. They booked this under the pretext of, a, I believe, an 18th birthday party. But in actual fact, what it was, was a rave. Um, there was a fight seemingly kicked off at that between two or three individuals, which the security staff on the premises managed to handle. They got them out on the street, and 
it went off there. And do we know how many people were at this supposed party or rave, as you called it? Well, there was at least 80 people involved in the trouble on the street. Right. Mm. Now, that probably included a lot of people who weren't at the party, but who maybe were making their way to it. Or, you know, Mm. people that just got caught up in the whole mayhem. But in, in terms of numbers at the party, I told between 70 and 80 people. Right. Uh, and I think probably a lot of people have uh, seen videos uh, on the internet of uh, the scenes uh, that then ensued on West Street, because this uh, began in and around Lawrence Gate, made its way down Lawrence Street and onto West Street, uh, and uh, there was a strong guard presence. It did take some time, though, for the guards to respond. The guard were there reasonably quickly. Now, mm. you have to bear in mind that it was a pre-flan night. There was a lot of people out in town who maybe mightn't be out on the Friday night before. There was also um, an FAI Cup tie with Rohada and Avondale, which would have taken a few Gardaí up there. Not that there was any trouble or likely to be any trouble up there, but they have to have a guard of presence at the game. Mm. And it was a reasonably quick response. Yeah. But the poor unfortunate guard that got badly assaulted was literally bowled over. He was a big lad um, from an eyewitness account, mm. and a number of these youths charged him, and by sheer weight of numbers, they forced him to the ground. And as everyone's seen in the video, they just kicked him around the place. It was it was a vicious attack when he was down, but as one eyewitness said to me, they mightn't have been so brave if it was one-to-one and he was standing up. Mm. But unfortunately, he was hurt. How badly, I'm not quite sure. So they jumped him and then started kicking him in the head, was it? Exactly. Uh, the description that was given to me was they started dancing on him. Mm. They uh, seemed fearless by all accounts. I understand that they were taunting the guards and uh, when Gardy arrived, they were shouting at them, come on. Well, let's put it this way. <clears throat> Again, the only witness that I spoke to told me that they weren't running. Uh, they also told me that when the guard went down, his colleagues... Took, if you pardon the pun, took no prisoners. They literally got stuck in battens were drawn, mm. and they came to the rescue of them pretty quickly. But yes, you're correct. These guys were egging it on. Look, as I said, over the last two to three years, they've been trying to source trouble and intimidate people, and were looking for fights, mm. actively, openly looking for hassle. Now, I also received a little bit of information this morning that Stranger than they seem, they were actually in town again yesterday and had to be escorted from outside shop premises in West Street by a number of Gardaí. Now, <clears throat> I believe, <clears throat> excuse me, mm. I believe they weren't in as big in numbers yesterday. There may have been between 15 and 20 of them, but they were there. And I suppose they get the train up from Balbriggan, is it? That appears to be the case. It's the train or the bus. And I suppose... They, they can get under the radar a little bit because yeah. well, they might be known in their own area. They wouldn't be recognised as easily by either security personnel or Gardaí when they're in a, a different town. Mm. And I, I'm not sure I'd like to be on the train or the bus when they got on as well, especially if they were on their way home after what happened on Friday night, after being thrown out of the pub, their night ended, uh, and uh, then uh, all of uh, the violence and uh, adrenaline that... Uh, would have been generated because of uh, the confrontation with the Gardaí, as well as the five arrests. What 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 happened when uh, these five young I take it they were all boys that were arrested, were they? 
Yes, they were. Mm. Um, I assume they were brought in, questioned, released, and I assume a file will be prepared for the DPP. Mm. Certainly, um, they can be identified <coughs> via video footage uh, that, that, as you say, has appeared on the internet. Mm. And quite quite a large number of premises around the town close to the incident would have CCTV, so I assume mm. the Gardaí will be able to identify them even further from that. Now, I'm not quite sure how the council-operated CCTV um, functions in Toronto. There was a story last year, I think, or at the start of this ongoing feud, the, the drug-related feud in town, where the CCTV and the council one wasn't operating at all. That's a, that's in the yeah. Think. I, I think so that's in the money. Of any use to them, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I think that's in the money more estate. I, I think uh, the Gardaí themselves have uh, cameras across uh, the town that are constantly monitored. Uh, but uh, if they were looking at the cameras. Or, or uh, there's no doubt about it. He, he, this wouldn't have been missed. I, I mean, it wasn't quite a riot, but it wasn't far from it. And anybody who came across it would have found it to have been quite a, a frightening situation. As you said, the flat kicked off on Sunday. There were a lot of uh, people in town over the weekend, a, a lot of visitors to the town over the weekend, and a, a bad start for Drogheda on Friday night because of this. Oh, you, you couldn't say otherwise. Um, that said, <clears throat> this is not <clears throat> this is not a new phenomenon. If you look back in the sixties, you had the teddy boys. In the seventies, you had skinheads and punks. There was always gangs out looking for trouble. Mm. It's not right. Uh, it's not acceptable, and it's hardly understandable. But it is a fact that there was always youngsters of a certain age who were out for trouble and got their kicks, if you pardon the pun again, yeah. that way. But this is no different. It's just it's just people out the cause trouble, people not really taking any responsibility for their actions and not really caring how it affects others. Mm. And it certainly can be frightening. It certainly can. I, I take it uh, the pub where the so-called 18th birthday was on will have barred as many of these people as they can identify as such. Uh, have other pubs uh, taken a, a similar position, if that's correct? I would assume so. Yeah. Um, like... It's it's the kind of thing you can do once, and I'm not saying get away with it, but mm. maybe one little risk of being identified. But these guys have been known, you know, over the last couple of years, and certainly I I would have no doubt that the Gardaí would probably advise all security personnel and advise all pubs of their identity and. If necessary, issue them with camera stills or CCTV stills so they, they could identify them. Yeah, well, they were back yesterday, you say, and uh, I suppose there's every chance that they'll be back again over the course of uh, the coming days, given the festivities that are taking place in town. Well, this is what these guys do. Hmm. They cause trouble, they live to cause trouble, and they enjoy the buzz they get out of causing trouble. And <clears throat> you're right, because... With the, the, the vast numbers that's going to be on the streets during the flare, they can sneak in a little bit and possibly hope that they're not noticed. But ultimately, it's the nature of the beast. They will draw attention to themselves and ultimately they will be dealt with. Mm, OK, blackguards of ever. We'll leave it there for the moment. Jerry. thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Jerry Hand, a freelance journalist. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns is here with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Tim from Mid Loud was listening to the interview at the top of the show with Joe Healy and Patricia McKenna and the discussion on that climate change report. And he feels that uh, the point made about why is the EU importing meat from Brazil is a good one should the EU not be supporting farmers within the EU. Mm, okay. Peter from Drogheda says, why should we change our diet? Time was it when people were dying of hunger here in Ireland. We are only a small fish in a large pond and I think it's ridiculous to be telling people to cut back on the amount of meat they eat. It should be out of choice and for health reasons if you do decide not to have red meat all the time mm. but not because the people in power are telling us to do it. Well, well it's not uh, the people in power, <laughs> it's scientists from all over the world uh, who uh, wrote this report for the governments of the world and many of the governments wouldn't like it uh, but uh, I suppose when it comes back uh, to the first point about why are we supporting uh, South American farmers South Americans might say why are we supporting European car makers and there's a lot of cynicism over that deal and that the mm. only objective is to increase uh, the sale of uh, German and French cars in South America and that sort of thing uh, but uh, the other side of that is uh, that Europe would argue that uh, as part of the deal they have to stop cutting down the rainforests. Michael, you really have a bee in your bonnet about this climate change, says another listener. Give us all a break. There are many out there who are struggling to put a roof over their head. Do you really think that they are worried today about climate issues? There's far bigger issues to be discussed on your show. Okay, all right. Well, if that's the way you feel, that's the way you feel. What the experts are telling you, and it's not me, and it's not any bee in my bonnet or anywhere else for that matter, but what the experts are saying is uh, that we won't have a, a planet to have things to worry about on if we continue the way we are. Jerry is a farmer in County Louth and he phoned in, wanted to make a couple of points. One okay. is aviation, a major problem. Mm. Thousands of airplanes in the air every hour over the world. Secondly, the gross abuse and disrespect of water. We are producing top quality water and we flush it down the loo and shower it away. That's two major flaws. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'm going to say on an environmental view is that every person needs a farmer over one thousand times a year to survive food is our petrol it's mm-hmm. our diesel michael mm-hmm. whenever we hear um whatever we eat mm. some farmer in some way has probably produced that it's very easy to turn off the top of food production but it is next to impossible to restart it okay I- don't believe that that has been suggested that we'd stop producing food I mean we need food to survive uh, obviously so uh, what they're saying is that we should diversify and that we should eat less meat and so on and whilst the focus of that report was on agriculture or the land and how we use the land uh, it's just one report uh, from uh, the uh, body that's involved and uh, that's uh, the focus this time at other times they've looked at uh, some of the other issues uh, including transport and aviation and uh, some of the things that were mentioned there. Alan wonders, is this interdepartmental body trying to put beef farmers out of business because that is what it seems to him. Okay. (laughs) So that's just a flavour of some of those. Maybe into a different type of business. 
Okay, moving from beef to another yeah. area. Okay, that's what yeah. you're saying. Pleasing. Um, Kathleen from Navin. I've been living in County Meath all my life. It seems that antisocial behaviour is on the increase across the county. Every town seems to be having a big problem with it. Extra guard resources are needed. We need to have a return to a visible guard or presence on our streets, says Kathleen. Okay. Christopher phoned in and he thinks it would be a backward step, Michael, mm. if, re- if you reduce the number of chief superintendents. He feels that you need to have leaders there in areas so that they can spearhead a response if a certain situation arises. And if a superintendent or chief superintendent has too many divisions and is over a wider area, he thinks that this would be uh, detrimental to that. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. He says that there's lots of... Uh, situations, live situations sometimes that they have to respond to and it's very important to have Mm. the senior chief on the ground. Okay. Uh, another listener uh, contacted us, didn't want to give a name, just about uh, the last topic about the young kids kind of oh, yeah. running amok mm, in the town mm, and, and mm, that okay. assault, uh, allegedly, and says that, you know, why are youngsters being allowed to roam from town to town? That's what appears to be happening, mm. listening to your report. 
uh, where are the parents when this uh, th- this is happening? If they were saying they were going to be there for an 18th birthday party, they can't be that old. And this is what worries me, that they are actually not even in their own areas mm. and moving into other areas to cause trouble. The only thing is, at least the guardy and security personnel might now be aware of them and maybe nip something like that in the bud the mm. next time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a, a fairly serious incident, uh, all the more so because of uh, the amount of uh, people involved and all the more so if uh, you were the Garda who was lying on the street and having people kick you in the head as was uh, the case. Uh, an unseemly thing if ever there was in Drogheda but those Jumflas weren't the only people to come to Drogheda this weekend and indeed many thousands of people will come to Drogheda over the course of the week for the Flacco. Let's hear one of uh, the important visitors who came to the town yesterday. President Michael D. Higgins. The fact that the streets are filled with people who are enjoying it and, and, and you know, on Coralahar Maragurt, you know, some the hug me. The performative is what is so important. And also the great friendship and camaraderie that is uh, involved in it. The new friendships that will be made, the old friendships that will be resumed. And also that we are able, in a public space, to have the public enjoying themselves together. Michael D. Higgins in Drogheda yesterday speaking uh, to LMFM's Helena Mullins. That's right, Michael. And then he was out meeting and greeting people. He's terrific, really. Mm, Uh, Went up to the hospital as well. That's right, Mm. which was an absolutely lovely gesture. And hopefully it will have brought a smile to the face of that poor man who was stabbed. Just If I can stay just on on the topic of general policing, um, another listener was in touch to say that uh, antisocial behaviour, unfortunately, is rife and it needs to be nipped in the bud. That if people think they'll get away with what, with my, what might appear to be little things, Michael, mm. then they'll go on to do the bigger things because they think that they'll get off scot-free and that this listener feels there should be more severe punishments dished out for the minor uh, activities and feels that it shouldn't matter what age the people are, that even people who are in their teenage years deserve to be punished if they do something that's not right. Mm, Okay, well, I think uh, some would argue that the best training ground for criminals is uh, prisons or youth detention centres and that they may go in uh, on one level and come out on a much higher level and be much worse as a result of what they've learned in prison. Marie phoned in and she also makes the point that parents have a lot to answer for. That uh, perhaps these youngsters, if the guardy have identified who they are, that they call to the parents' house and say, don't be letting them out. You know, mm-hmm. come down heavy on the parents and says, well, we're hearing about this, Michael. It's also important to focus on to the amount of young people who flew the flag in Drogheda on mm-hmm. Sunday. So many young people busking on the streets. It was absolutely wonderful to see the first day that there were so many out and about. And these young people are tremendous, yeah. Marais says. Okay. It takes all sorts. It does. Also then, we had um, a call from Madeline in relation to the carjacking that you were discussing um, with Deputy Shane Castle and she just makes a point uh, about an incident that happened to her two years ago. She said, Michael, I was sitting uh, at the traffic lights had my uh, bag and a briefcase on the passenger seat of my Mm. car. She said, 
The next thing, my door was opened and they were stolen while I was sitting in the car. An awful experience, but it really did teach me to make sure that my doors oh, yeah. were always locked. Yeah, well, there's uh, certainly certain parts of probably every city in the world uh, where your bag will be taken uh, and it's uh, predominantly women who need to worry because of the handbag on the passenger seat, but your bag will be taken if you're if it's on the passenger seat if uh, the doors are open. So I think the best yes. advice is to make sure that and, you And a lot of the newer mm-hmm. cars now have that automatic, automatic yeah, locking, yeah. don't mm-hmm. they? Mm-hmm. But a good point for Madeline. So we'll finish on that, Michael. Okay, thanks uh, for that, Madeline. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715958. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing uh, talks uh, between farmers under the Beef Plan banner and uh, the factories take place uh, today along with farming representatives and indeed representatives on behalf of the government. Let's talk about how a solution to this price crisis might be found with Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue. A very good morning to you and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning, Deputy McConnellogue. Uh, Where do you think the solution lies? Well, I, I think we need to see the meat industry engage in a serious way with the uh, farming organisations and the beef plan movement and actually recognise that we need to see transparency brought into the beef supply chain um, and indeed that we need to see uh, a structure put in place that can try and ensure that farmers get a fair margin for the work that they put in in terms of producing the beef. Um, unfortunately, uh, it has been the case mm. in, in recent times and uh, farmers' experience in recent years that whenever supply of cattle go up, um, that uh, the beef factories increase their margin and leave farmers in, in a more difficult position at certain times of the year. Okay, but um, where, 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 where do you find uh, the differential? Because uh, I suppose you can either increase the price of beef on the supermarket shelf or you can reduce the margin that the factories enjoy or the retailers enjoy. That is if the farmers are to have more of the share. Now, I think key to that is bringing, and this is something that I know is going to be discussed uh, today, is bringing um, transparency into the, 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 uh, the food supply chain so that farmers can actually see what the various prices are and therefore there is uh, oversight in terms of what margins different uh, different uh, levels in the food uh, supply chain are taking from primary producer and the farmer to the, the processor and to, to the retailers. Um, we, we, we see a situation um, at the moment where farmers are taking historically low prices um, at down as low as three, three euro forty five a kilo. Now prices are more depressed um, in recent times across Europe, uh, but Ireland has got a bigger whack of that because of uh, because of our exposure to the British market. And um, whenever this happens, um, we, we see a situation where farmers have to take all of the pain, while everyone else actually keeps their their position and and, and their margin. Um, is, is and there I, is there enough money to go around? Is beef expensive enough? at the end stage on the supermarket shelf for the price to increase for farmers? Yeah, I, I think certainly the, the price is there, the, the, the price that the consumers pay. Um, it's been shown that the, the, the farmers are currently getting 22% of the final price mm. that's being paid by the, uh, on the supermarket shelves, despite the fact that they have the animals for um, up to, up to two, two years um, before, as a before they actually sell them, whereas yeah. they may only be in the supermarket shelf for a short uh, short number of days. Sure, and and B plan spelled that out very well in those posters. Uh, that Certainly, they had. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, who, who's um, 
creaming it here, if I can put it that way. Well, I think certainly the, the, the retailers in the process are, are taking their margin and f- farmers are not. And uh, uh, they want to see fairness brought into it. And, uh, and transparency is key to that, Michael. But the other thing we need to see as well, because there is a lot of distortion in the, mar- in the market at the moment because of Brexit. Um, and that is certainly impacting on confidence and impacting on price. Now, they, there was a, a fund announced a few weeks ago, uh, the, the Beef Emergency Aid Measure, which was uh, co-funded by 50 million of domestic funds and 50 million of European funds aimed at actually trying to compensate farmers for the, the price drop that they experienced from September last year until May this year. Um, and that was recognition at European level that uh, there is distortion in the, in the market which has affected prices in Ireland more so than any other part of Europe. But the prices that have been experienced since the end of May, uh, which was the cutoff period mm-hmm. for that fund, actually have been less than what was the period covered by the fund. So what that indicates is that there is additional support necessary in my view as well uh, from European level given what's given the backdrop of Brexit and uh, the principle of giving that support has already been established through the BEAM fund uh, and the period that's covering and since prices are lower now it's essential uh, that that actually that there is assurances given by Minister for Agriculture uh, at the talks too that he will engage with at European level to try and ensure that there's additional support coming to support farmers in what is a very uh, historically uh, difficult time for them at the moment. But it, it still leaves you with uh, the same problem. There's uh, three cuts uh, 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 out of every piece of beef uh, that's sold and uh, the farmers are being undercut. They're getting far less than they should be, you say, because uh, the factories are making too much, relatively too much, and the retailer is making too much, relatively too much, relative to what the farmer is getting for their produce. Uh, so those margins have to reduce if uh, the farmers are going to be treated fairly. Is that right? Uh, yes, I think the, the, the actual um, the, the, the margins that the various that farmers are getting versus the other uh, levels in the chain have to be readjusted and we have to mm. see meat processors and indeed I think there's a role for retailers here and ultimately consumers as well okay. to recognise that it's important that uh, farmers are treated fairly. So, um, so is there much point to these talks today if the retailers aren't attending? Well, I think that there is a, there's a role for the government and, and the meat industry in terms of working with retailers here as well. And I, I do think retailers should be attending. Um, I think it's important that they would be. I know some of the farming organisations have called for that. I think that's something that should, that, that should be happening because they do have a, a critical role to play. Um, but in, in the milk sector across Europe, there is a lot of transparency in relation to the prices paid, and there is a milk, EU milk price observatory, which shows exactly what the cost of the price being paid of milk is across Europe, and it certainly uh, helps to ensure that everyone knows what's going on and that there can be oversight in terms of margins that are being taken. Um, that isn't in place in relation to beef, and that is a real problem, and that's something in relation to today's talks that we need to see uh, addressed and come out of, because certainly if we can bring transparency to the supply chain, it's the first step then in trying to ensure that there is fairness in relation to the, the primary producer getting its margin as well as other as well as other um, levels in the in the supply chain as well. And that some leverage could be brought uh, to the farmers in terms of selling their product, because right now they're being dictated to, aren't they, in terms of what their product is worth. Uh, they, they are very much so. They, they have um, they don't have control over when they can sell them. Um, and uh, unfortunately, and the farmers definitely feel, and I think it is the case that that whenever the whenever there is a squeeze in the markets, that that the margins of other 
um, other levels of the food supply chain actually increase and they, they actually have to take all the pain. I know there's a number of key issues being discussed today as well, which, which have been real difficulties and problems for farmers in recent times, which hopefully can be addressed. And those are, are, are issues around the movement of cattle and the age limits in relation to cattle, which factories um, uh, put in place, uh, such as a maximum of 30 months. Um, for, for animals to be uh, to, before they're presented for slaughter um, and also in terms of farmer, animals having to be a minimum of 70 days on their last holding before they actually go to, go for, go to, to the factory and also uh, restrictions in relation to four movements over an animal's lifetime um, in order to qualify for bonus payments. Issues such as that are mm-hmm. real um, bones of contention for the farming community as well because there isn't any, uh, there isn't any rationale behind them and simply it's arbitrary uh, conditions that are put on which makes life more difficult uh, for farmers. Well, it makes it um, more expensive uh, to produce. Makes it more. It does add yeah. to the expense of reduce. It also makes it. It also reduces competition mm. um, uh, in terms of uh, being able to sell cattle um, in, in advance of them actually going to the factory. Um, and hopefully, uh, we need to, and we we very much need to see uh, some solutions to those today, where actually the factories would undertake to address them and bring about a, a more level playing field in terms of how farmers can engage with them. Okay, but. Uh, the farmers may end up uh, being uh, sued uh, and taken to court. Uh, the, the meat industry was uh, suggesting this last week. The CCPC is looking at the behaviour and it, it seems as though they may have been in breach of competition laws by the way that they held these protests. Well, uh, I don't think that was a reasonable move by the meat factories in any way. Um, I mean, farmers simply don't have any power in relation to how they engage with the factories and they need the factories need to recognize here that the farmers taking to the picket lines over the last couple of weeks was down to sheer frustration um, and desperation in relation to where they see uh, their their livelihood going uh, and what they see happening uh, into the future and factories need to and rather than taking an aggressive mm. approach to that need to recognize that and recognize that farmers have to be recognized as, as partners in relation to um, uh, the, 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 the work they carry out and their role because um, without farmers there won't be any beef industry in the country and meat factories can't take a heavy-handed approach. But if, if, if farmers stood together uh, there wouldn't be the grounds to take a heavy-handed approach. There wouldn't be the grounds to take any approach. But when some farmers try to pass the pickets uh, and it results in illegal blockades, it creates this situation. So if farmers are to blame anybody, it shouldn't be the factory, should it? Should it not be the other farmers who are acting as scabs? Yeah, well, listen, I think in, in fairness to the, the beef plan movement, um, in, in situations where uh, the, that was happening and where the, the guidelines they had issued were not being followed. They had stood down um, certain protests. Mm. Uh, I do think what was happening in the last couple of weeks, Michael, where uh, farmers weren't coming to the, the factory with, uh, w- with cattle was down to the solidarity farmers were showing among themselves because all farmers recognise that they have to they have to come together and... and uh, well, mo- most, have, perhaps, but not and, all. And, and, so, no, and, and certainly some, the, some broke no, the vast, majority, yeah. the vast majority did. But yeah. The vast majority, and that's what's brought people to the, the table today and uh, achieved this, this forum. And it's essential now that we actually see uh, uh, something constructive come out of it and a, and a better, a fairer deal for farmers emerge from it as a result of the talks. And should it have been achieved through the representative organisations or have the farmers been failed by those organisations and forced to take action themselves? 
Oh, I, I think all of the farming organisations have been raising these issues over the last number of, uh, over the last year or two. And but it's, it, but it's Beef Plan who managed to get the factories to the table. And it was Beef Plan, beef plan that then took the action of, of organising pickets, and certainly they can take the credit for um, having, having brought the factories to the table today. But I think all of the farming organisations have a role to play in relation to this, and, and I do think it's important that they all, they all do um, come together with the one voice um, in terms of their approach to the talks today, and I, I, I certainly hope that that is the case, and I would expect that that is the case, because uh, it's important that this opportunity presented, and it is, uh, it, it, it is an unprecedented opportunity um, to actually address many of the issues that are there and try and achieve a, a, a fair playing field for, for farmers as the primary producer. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning on the programme. Charlie McConnell is Fianna Falls spokesperson on agriculture. Now, as you've been hearing, it's not just uh, the price of uh, beef uh, that is putting pressure on farmers. Uh, there is also the environmental concerns about the production of beef and how we use our land following on from uh, the report last week from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. We'll hear from just some of the scientists who were involved in uh, writing this report now and uh, here's uh, what they had to say at the launch of the report in Geneva last week. Over two years in the making, the special report on climate change and land explores how the way we use our land contributes to climate change and how climate change affects our land. Over 7,000 scientific publications were assessed in this report. The report received a total of 28,000 comments from experts, reviewers, and government. Land is where? we live. Land is under growing human pressure and land is part of the solution, but land cannot do it all. We humans affect more than 70% of ice-free land. A quarter of this land is degraded. The way we produce food and what we eat contributes to the loss of natural ecosystems and declining biodiversity. When land is degraded, it reduces the soil's ability to take up carbon, and this exacerbates climate change. In turn, climate change exacerbates land degradation in many different ways. The temperature over the land surface have increased almost twice the global average. Climate zones are shifting. Many extreme events, such as heat wave, drought, and high precipitation, are becoming more frequent and intense. Agriculture, forestry, and other uh, types of land use account for 23% of human greenhouse gas emissions. The food system as a whole, which includes food, food production and processing, transport, retail consumption, loss, and waste, is currently responsible for up to a third of our global greenhouse gas emissions. Improving the way that we use land and produce food does have an important part to play in helping us to tackle climate change. Limiting global warming to 1.5 or even 2 degrees will involve removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere 
and land has a critical role to play in carbon dioxide removal. A move to more balanced diets could help us adapt to and limit climate change. Some diets require more land and water and lead to higher emissions than others. For example, diets that are high in grains, nuts and vegetables have a lower carbon footprint than those that are high in meat and they lead to better health outcomes. Climate change creates additional stresses on land, exacerbating existing risks to livelihoods, ecosystems, species and biodiversity. Land is under growing human pressure. Land is part of the solution, but land cannot do it all. Just some of the 108 scientists involved in the publication of that report last week from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Gardy say that a 30-year-old man will appear before the criminal courts of justice in relation to a serious assault which took place in Black Rock and saw a 93-year-old man stabbed some three times. We're joined by some local councillors, Maria Doyle of Fine Gael and Emma Coffey of Fianna Fáil, who are in Black Rock this morning. And a very good morning to both of you, and thanks for joining us here on uh, the programme today. Maria Doyle, you've been meeting with this man's family, I understand. Uh, Yes, indeed, Michael. So um, this morning I had a call from the family of the man who was attacked and injured at the weekend and um, asked if we could meet with them um, and asked that I could contact the Dundalk South Councillors, which I did. So I I contacted all the Dundalk South Councillors. Myself, Emma Coffey, uh, Rory Murku met with the family and uh, Deputy Peter Fitzpatrick also was there. So uh, we just really came out to, to, to listen to them mm. and uh, to hear, uh, you know, they're obviously devastated, extremely mm. upset. Um, and, you know, they, they showed us where, where, the, where, the, um, where the incident took place and it's quite distressing, really. Was, Michael, was it in the house or in the garden? Well, um uh, as far as I'm aware, it, it, it was it was both. But I, I don't right. want to go into the detail of that. Obviously, there, okay. you know, as as you reported, there's uh, somebody is about to be charged, or seems that someone's going to be charged. So, I don't want to go into the detail. Yeah. Only that you know, the family are just you know they're they're just distraught, okay. and <laughs> their thoughts okay. are not just with with their family member, but with uh, with vulnerable and elderly people in general. They're really okay. really concerned about. Um, this happening to another family. What what, what do you understand about this man's well-being? How is he now? Um, I understand from the family that um, he is uh, doing quite well, considering. good. Good. Great. Well, I I think that uh, obviously uh, is uh, the thing that most people are interested uh, to hear. Emma Coffey is also on the line, and uh, as we've been hearing, you've been meeting with uh, the family. Now, the man is 93. His wife is uh, in her late 80s, I understand. Uh, How is she? Well, look, naturally, um, Michael, when an incident of this nature happens, it's absolutely uh, detrimental and horrific. Uh, not only for the victim but the extended family. So, so you know, the, I suppose the psychological impacts of not just on the victim but his wife and his and his immediate family and in the community is 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 far-reaching and it'll really be a long road to recover on that basis of them. And I and, and I know from meeting from with the family this morning, you know, that every support is there. 
uh, for each other and also for for the resources that are there for them. But it's a long road. I mean, you know, our house is our safety net. It's our home. It's you know, it's where we live. It's it's our inner circle. And t- for an attack of this nature to take place, you know, it shakes the foundations of that whole your whole life, your whole basis, uh, your whole base. So I mean, it is a very very uh, long road psychologically for these people and their families to recover. Mm-hmm. And, and when you say you met with the family, uh, I take it uh, there were other members of uh, the family there. Well, I, I'm, I'm yes, the family in general. I'm, you know, obviously, you know, the, 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 at the invitation of the family, they, they sought to meet with members of the uh, Dundalk side councillors and uh, myself and Maria and Rory O'Rourke who were in attendance there at that request. And, and in fairness to the family. It, it, it was only at their request that we did come to to visit them, to speak to them, to listen to them, and really to see the effects uh, for our own eyes. Um, you know, people talk about the shock of a nature of this attack and the type of this attack, but it's only when you meet uh, the people who are affected that really mm. it impacts on 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 how how great uh, a nature of this event. Offense. And to pass on a, a message from the family to the local community, uh, indeed to all of us, uh, and undoubtedly that is to think of your own home security and to look out for others. Yes, it's very clear that the family said this is not about about you know the victims, just about the victims. This is about you know our country, our elderly people, um, and you know that it, it it happened during the day in a heavy in an area full of footfall. Uh, and if it can happen at that time of the day, it can happen anywhere at any time. And really, you know, they're hoping that the uh, nature of this attack doesn't happen again, that they don't hear about it, and that it just won't be brushed under the carpet. Thankfully, somebody has been charged uh, and they're being brought before the, the court system today. Um, but, I mean, how many how many attacks of this nature, you know, how many attacks mm. on our elderly has taken place in, you know, I know for in the last number of weeks, Michael, in the county, there has been at least four attacks mm. uh, on elderly people up and down this county, uh, either burglaries or you know bag snatching or wallets being taken at them in in a, in a in a in a in a robbery nature, and you know people, elderly people, and any people deserves the right to to have their own freedom in their own home and to come about their business. But it just seems to me that. Attacks on our elderly, just we seem to be hearing of them more and more frequent. I mean, earlier on, you hear, I was listening to your show and you had uh, an age, a very violent attack took place in Navan. I mean, it seems to be every day we're having uh, a nature of bag snatching, of, 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 of people being physically assaulted mm. over money. Yeah, the... Um the injured man, uh, obviously a remarkable man, uh, not that I know him or anything, but uh, just reading between the lines, uh, Maria Doyle, he does seem to be a remarkable man in that uh, originally it was reported that he was in his late 80s, despite him being 93. He obviously looks young for his years. It's also reported that he fended this man off and uh, 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 is uh, obviously somebody uh, who is keen about gardening and that type of thing, uh, an otherwise fit and healthy man. Uh, and I'm sure there is just total confusion as to how this could have happened. Well, absolutely. And as Emma said there, um, it happened in, in the middle of a day yeah. uh, on a Saturday in a very built up area, um, a community centre nearby. I mean, it, 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 it's, you know, for something like that to happen. But the thing is, it did happen. 
And that's that's the, the worrying thing about it. It did happen. And if it did happen, it can happen again. So we have to, and I think this is what I'm taking away from our meeting with the family this morning, is, um, I mean, obviously their own distress and, and, and that, but also what they want to see uh, us as councillors and, um, you know, at the TDs locally in Loud doing to make sure in whatever way we can, that it doesn't happen again and that people mm. do feel safe and secure. I mean, Or if it does happen again, that perhaps the consequences are different than they are presently. Well, absolutely. I mean, mm. it's something that uh, when this incident was reported, um, that people spoke to me about and saying, well, you know, there should be, uh, you know, perhaps mandatory custodial sentences for, for mm. carrying knives. There's a whole issue of, of, uh, of, of, I mean, we see across the water in the UK what a serious issue knife crime is there. It, it, it seems like uh, it could come that way here and it's, it's getting there. So, I mean, if people are carrying knives, and I mean, I'm not talking about this incident, you know, specifically, I, I don't know the exact details that will, will, will turn out, Just, it will, will be known in the court case. But mm. uh, in general, if yeah. people are carrying knives, they mean to hurt someone. Okay. You know, and... Well, it's a, a very important story. I know an awful lot of people have uh, been very concerned about what happened and for the man himself. And uh, I'm sure that uh, everybody will uh, wish him well and the family well, uh, his wife as well in particular. But uh, please God, uh, he'll be home uh, and uh, tending to his garden again in the coming days. It's a story, though, that's overshadowed uh, other uh, issues uh, for us uh, this morning. You were both scheduled to join us anyway as it turned out to talk about dog fouling following on from uh, the statement issued by Louth County Council last week about how there's been great strides taken over the last 20 years to tackle this issue and that it's only a small percentage of people who don't pick up after the dog and that this follows a number of initiatives from the council itself including awareness campaigns and the latest space of graffiti that uh, people have been talking about. You've been talking about this in particular, Maria Doyle, I think. Yes, indeed. And I mean, I heard your your interview with Catherine Duff, the Director of Services Live County Council last week, and you referred to it as graffiti, and that is how I would refer to it. I mean, there's there's a lot of issues, I think, here. One of the main ones being that of communication and consultation. Um, A number of years ago, a steering group was set up between uh, tidy towns groups here, uh, Louth Tidy Towns together, and Louth County Council, and the purpose of that steering group was to um, to allow for such communication and cons- consultation. And this was the perfect forum for this. I think Catherine referred to it as the colourful stencil initiative to be discussed. And it, um, it was mooted a couple of years ago, two years ago. But at that time, the group agreed um, that each individual Tidy Towns group would be consulted if it was going to be rolled out in their area. My understanding is that RD Tidy Towns um, uh, were happy to run with it and it started there. Uh, but other Tidy Towns group ha- groups in- individually have not been consulted. And I mean, really, it is the Tidy Towns volunteers mm. in, in all the areas except for Drogheda and Dundalk that actually clean up the dog file on the footpaths. Mm. So, I mean, they are the ones who know uh, how many incidents there are and uh, whether uh, it's improving. My understanding, my knowledge from what, I told, what, I, what I've been told is that since these stencils have gone down, there hasn't been an imp- improvement, certainly not in Black Rock. Um, so my one of my major issues was in terms of consultation. It wasn't discussed um, at any meetings that I was at. And uh, I just think, you know, let people know that you're even considering doing something like this before you do it. I really would question how effective it is going to be. Mm. And I would say not. 
I mean, I think vigorous enforcement is the only way to to uh, get to repeat offenders, and it probably is repeat offenders that um, is causing the majority of the yeah. problem on our streets. And, uh, and, and I think without uh, that, you won't you won't make any headlines. And the enforcement part of this left us amused. If not amused, I think we'd have been amused if it wasn't so serious. We were completely bemused because we were told uh, that the council will follow up any complaints uh, that people bring to them. And we had this uh, impression uh, of uh, dog wardens following people who were out walking their dogs and ready to find them or whatever if uh, they didn't pick up but that's not the case uh, if I could just bring Emma Coffey in on this because we have run over time obviously uh, on uh, this other issue uh, the, the the council do not have the wherewithal to enforce these laws that was very clear speaking to Catherine Duff last week they have two litter wardens for the entire county uh, who work Monday to Friday 9 to 5 uh, and uh, they are also charged with all of the duties relating to dogs, uh, apart from the bigger part of their job, which is uh, to warden littering. Yeah, so there's also the community wardens who are also given the powers in relation to under-spot fines, Michael. And I'm not, and and, and again, it doesn't. They don't. There's not enough of them to police it. But I have, like, I've tabled a motion on this. I think last year. Um, and you know, I made a suggestion very, very clearly at that time, and I was also chairperson of the of the uh, SPC, which is the committee that in, on infrastructure, which dealt with this. And I, I just want to make the point: at no time was the stenciling uh, proposal ever put forward to that SPC. Uh, it was a number of four years ago put out to the community groups, which had mixed reviews, but it was never discussed. Uh, so I agree with Maria. There was a breakdown, a lack of communication in relation to this. Would you call it graffiti? I would actually, yeah, yeah. because quite frankly, uh, you know, if, if there's a repeat offenders, they're not going. They don't care about. Um, uh, stenciling or otherwise really what they do care is about hit, being hit in the pocket and mm. I have suggested that the community wardens if they were out or the little wardens were out between the hours of half seven and ten o'clock in the morning doesn't have to be every morning mm. uh, or you know half five to seven p.m. or six p.m. to eight thirty in the evening that's when you catch the majority of these people and I can guarantee yeah. you that if there was a spot and I don't mean every week, every day. I mean at certain times, you know, to use the resources that you have. I can guarantee you that that would be the 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 enforcement and the fines would go up because that's mm. when people are taking their dogs for a walk and the repeat offenders. Yeah. They don't care. And I think the, I think the I think the council council uh, might say that, that if you're found guilty of graffiti, uh, you could be fined. Um, not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if there's an argument for graffiti or not. But if there is, I'd certainly uh, prefer to see the artistic expression of young people uh, in a coordinated way than uh, somebody spraying pictures of dogs going to the toilet on the pavement. But that's another day's work. Yeah, but just to make a point, yeah. uh, Michael, in Black Rock and in the area where they've done this, I mean, there's, in a 500-metre radius, there's five bins on the street. Mm. And, you know, I don't think putting paintings on the on the pavement is going to, for the particular people who don't avail of those, those bins, that the, the tidy yeah. towns and council have gone to the point okay. of putting their waste in, mm. is going to encourage them to actually do something. Okay. And there are 11 signs already in that area. Yeah, and I, I, I think the point about the bins is particularly interesting because we had people in touch with us last week saying maybe more people would pick up if there were more bins, but the bins are there and they're not doing it. All right, listen, we leave it there for the moment. Uh, apologies, 
that we had uh, so little time to discuss that issue because of uh, the very serious concern there is over that 93-year-old man and indeed his family and the family's concerns for other people. But thank you both indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Fine Gael Councillor Maria Doyle and Emma Coffey, who's a Fianna Fáil councillor. Michael Reed on LMFM. Ryanair pilots based in uh, the United Kingdom will be on strike on the 22nd and 23rd of uh, this month before further action in September. On Friday, the Irish pilots decided by way of a vote to take strike action. When that might happen is as yet unknown. Let's uh, talk about the consequences, though, with John Spollin, President of the ITAA, the Irish Travel Agents Association. Good morning to you, John, and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme, as always. Ryanair uh, is suggesting that it'll be able to get people to their destinations, regardless of whether they've booked independently or through a travel agent. Will they be able to do that? Well, uh, we're seeing uh, hundreds of passengers are waiting to find out if the flights will be cancelled um, um, with by uh, Europe's biggest budget airline. Um, strike action is extreme. It's, it's, it's extremely upsetting for Irish holidaymakers, and we find that it would be unacceptable. And where the ITA would become from, it's high time the aviation industry as a whole realised that customers are first focus, and strikes should not be a first resort but a last one. So we would urge um, Ryanair management uh, to work with the pilots and the union to defuse the situation both here and in the UK and find a resolution and avoid any disruption to holidaymakers and corporate travellers. And this is the second year running at around this time of the year, is it not, that pilots have threatened strike action? Yes, come uh, the end of the busy holiday season, uh, August, September, it seems to be uh, either uh, air traffic control or pilots or you know, airline staff seem to um, uh, want to go on strike or want to cause some disruption. Okay, if they take strike action here in line with the dates uh, that are planned in the United Kingdom, would that be a a better situation or would it make things worse? Uh, If uh, they were on separate dates, uh, would they be able to get the Irish pilots over to the UK and vice versa? Well, certainly... um, not all flights coming in and out of uh, Dublin are um, based in, 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 in the Irish base. Some of them are coming from Spain, places in Spain or Portugal or uh, Central Europe. So um, we're not too sure what sort of disruption will happen should the strike go ahead. But we are saying, please talk to one another and please uh, avoid uh, strike action as it's extremely upsetting. And where we stand as travel agents and tour operators, we're on the ones on the front line who have to pick up the pieces mm. uh, when strikes happen by airlines, air traffic control, delays or cancellations. Uh, travel agents have to deal with the fallout um, and we're here for our customers. So we're wary of the strike action that could it'll cause serious disruption for holidaymakers. However, um, as, as you say, they, they may not go on strike or mm. else we will be able to reroute our passengers and our customers uh, through uh, either with other airlines or with alternative days. Okay, no doubt there's uh, people who are very concerned. They've got their holiday plans in place and if they're planning on travelling to Malaga or wherever on the 22nd of August and Ryanair is on strike, uh, you have a a contract, I I take it, with them uh, and under that contract you're going to get them there or try to get them there. Well, we look. We will always look. Uh, travel agents always look after their their clients. It's what we do, and uh, it's it's a totally different situation um, for 
what we call DIY travellers, uh, not booked with a travel agent or a tour operator. Uh, while there are mechanisms in place uh, for refunds from the airline, um, there's a little bit more work for them involved to them if they have a hotel uh, accommodation and onward transport booked. And what are you doing at your end now uh, in this vacuum? Are you looking at contingency plans? Well, it, the first device is not to panic. Um, we're saying the situation is very fluid as it's only a strike threat, uh, a threat of a strike at present. And so hopefully it may not go ahead and it may be resolved. Um, we we will have contingency plans in place for our customers should that happen. As I say, it's a catch-22 situation and it's something that we are monitoring uh, and uh, all our member agents around the country are monitoring uh, and looking after their clients as best as they can. Um, unfortunately, Cancelling now um, is, is is where the issue lies because uh, if you look at booking a replacement flight, it could cost you two flights uh, because if the strike doesn't happen, um, you won't be able to uh, claim. And is this something that might get worse or is it a, a localised issue, localised in the sense of uh, the UK and the Irish pilots? Because I think last year it extended out to other countries. Well, uh, we we hear of uh, various different um, situations in Italy and in in, in other European uh, countries uh, with uh, unions and Ryanair. Uh, and as I say, it's a situation where um, it's very disturbing when the aviation industry um, is is prone to having strikes, whether it's air traffic control, whether it's airlines, whether it's um, airport staff going on strike. Um, it's it's very upsetting for uh, holidaymakers and uh, uh, corporate travellers alike. Mm-hmm. Okay, well let's hope it doesn't happen uh, and uh, that it's resolved uh, to everybody's satisfaction. We leave it there for the moment, John. Thank you indeed for joining us Thanks. this morning, John Spollin, president of the Irish Travel Agents Association, the ITAA. And that brings our program to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at nine a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.